Mr. Kovic, how does it feel to have the movie about you on this podcast? Uh, overwhelming. An honor. It's been a long way for us. To have, uh, just lately, I felt like I'm home. You know? Like, you know, maybe we're home. Everybody and welcome to the Cinema Psych Podcast, the podcast where psychology meets film. I am your host, Dr. Alex Swan, and in today's episode, we are gonna get a little patriotic. Yeah. So, okay. Full disclosure: sometimes I really like doing gimmicky episodes, and that's what we're kind of doing for this particular one. So. If you're listening to this in the year 2022, then this this podcast episode came out on July 4th of that year. And if you are in the United States and you are listening to this, well, you obviously know that July 4th, even if you're not in the United States, you probably know this too, but July 4th is a holidays, Independence Day. But that's not the movie that we are talking about. Of course, that would have been a, oh yeah, that, that would have worked. No, 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 no. We are going to be a little bit more on the nose, just a little bit closer to the nose on this one. And we are actually going to be talking about a movie that is perhaps particularly more useful for the kind of podcast that I'm making here. Born on the 4th of July. Yep, that is the movie we are talking about. Born on the 4th of July. That's why we're doing this gimmicky episode. Yeah, Born on the 4th of July makes a lot more sense for a psychology course. We're going to be talking about the psychology that's present in this film, that is uh, portrayed, let alone not really discussed um, within the dialogue of the movie, but definitely portrayed in... um, a significant fashion, uh, we believe. So if you're not familiar with Born on the Fourth of July, this is one of Tom Cruise's early gigs. So the movie came out in 1989. So shortly after, you know, uh, Risky Business and Maverick. Uh, excuse me, not Maverick. That one came out in 2022. No, uh, Top Gun. <laughs> yeah, that's the one I mean. That's the one I mean. Uh, this particular movie is actually really important. So it's one of Oliver Stone's, um, I believe he did three, um, he did three films that were specifically about Vietnam. And this, so this is one of them, one of them. And it's a, it's essentially a biopic. It's based on true events and a real person. So Tom Cruise plays a man by the name of Ron Kovic, who, like Stone, Oliver Stone, the director and also co-writer for this film, uh, went to Vietnam, uh, our Vietnam veterans, and had perhaps some of the worst experiences anybody has ever had in their lives. I mean, something that I certainly can't imagine, but 
have seen portrayed over and over again in very poignant Vietnam films like Platoon, um, Apocalypse Now, and and then lampooned in things like Tropic Thunder, you know? So um, this particular film, as opposed to other films, oh, we can't forget uh, Full Metal Jacket, perhaps my favorite Vietnam film. So this particular one, as opposed to some of the others, which are sort of fictionalized versions of Vietnam, unless they're specifically about like a real person, this one, Ron Kovic went to Vietnam, um, was shot, in the line of duty and um, it was hit in such a way that uh, he was uh, paralyzed from the mid abdomen down. So like he had no feeling in his uh, lower abdomen. So around his belly button kind of thing. And obviously his pelvis, there is uh, scenes in the film where he explains that his penis doesn't work and all of that. Um, we may uh, reference that scene again. He is paralyzed and he goes from a um, uh, what I'll what I'll say a big patriot. He saw the war heroes and how they were raised uh, in uh, how they were raised up on pedestals after World War Two and then also being born on the 4th of July sort of um, catapults this character into sort of uh, Americanness, and then the eventual fall uh, of that after his treatment as a Vietnam veteran and him having to deal with his paralysis and paraplegia. So we are going to talk about that film today. Again, written by uh, by Kovic himself with Oliver Stone and directed by Oliver Stone. Um, oh, yes, this trilogy here, I see. Uh, the trilogy of films about the Vietnam War, including Platoon and then Heaven on Earth, which came after this one. So this one's the middle of the three Vietnam vet. And so in any case, Ron Kovic wrote this with Oliver Stone, and it is about him. Tom Cruise plays him. And then there's a bunch of other phenomenal actors in here. Willem Dafoe has a role. Kira Sedgwick, Raymond J. Barry. I love everything he does. This character actor is amazing. Frank Whaley, um, John Getz. Stephen Baldwin has a random sort of cameo, we'll say. Reg E. Cathy. Uh, Tom Sizemore. John C. McGinley, Wayne Knight even has a line. Tom Berenger plays a gunnery sergeant. So without further ado, let's jump right into it. My guest host today is returning guest host, Dr. Anthony Zaccolillo. Uh, If you recall, he is a professional associate pr professor of psychology at Texas A&M University in Corpus Christi. Welcome back to the show, Anthony. Thank you very much, Alex. Uh, how you been? I've been uh, pretty good, I suppose, since last we chatted. So um, you wrote down here, and I thank you for pulling that episode. We last spoke on episode 26, and that was all the way because of, you know, only releasing episodes Ooh. every three weeks. Uh, that was it. That was January 2021. Yeah, so yeah. a whole academic year and a half has gone by. An so eternity. how has it been for you? Uh, extraordinarily busy, my friend. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I when, dig it. When last we talked, we were sort of 
coming out of or trying to return more to normalcy. Um, yeah, there's been a, obviously a lot of transition. It's certainly not the same as it was, um, you know, uh, extraordinarily busy with new classes, working on um, a number of different grants uh, awesome. all simultaneously. Um, oh, that's a lot of work. Uh, yeah. Um, we're doing a huge initiative. Um, the state of Texas is with okay. uh, open educational resources. Mm -hmm. um, so we're transitioning and, and trying to get funding to develop our own, you know, textbook materials for lower, no cost. And, okay, uh, great. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a lot of work. Um, and somewhere in there, I managed to find the time to get married. Uh, oh, so, congratulations. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, so yeah, so it has been an eventful 18 months uh, or 17 months, but uh, good, all, all good stuff. Awesome. So a quick question on the OER uh, resources. So are these going to be available to anyone in the state of Texas or anyone in the United States? So technically, um, you know, the funding agencies are through Texas. So the okay. resources are being made um, made through an uh, an OER repository that is being, gotcha. you know, basically babysat by the state of Texas. But cool. I do not yeah. believe that they are they are not restricted. Um, OK, so uh, so they could be shared uh, like through email or something, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And as a matter mm -hmm. of fact, I don't think that being out of state precludes you from actually accessing the repository, you oh, know, and searching see. it on your own. Um, I mean, there are so many of these you know, uh, and that's part of the frustrating thing about it is a lot of duplication going on. Like right. we have our own repository at A&M Corpus. The state of Texas has one. There are mm -hmm. national repositories. You know, some of my stuff is, you know, just keep it, I keep it local. Some of it's, at, you know, in the state, some of it's at the national. It's so I, I kind of lose track of where the stuff is. Um, but actually, I don't really care. I mean, the purpose of it is kind of you create it and you put it mm -hmm. out in the ether and then people take with it and sure, sure. do what they want with it. Um, so in that way, I don't really have to keep track of it. Uh -huh. uh, so, you know, it's just you just don't want to duplicate what's already out there. So sure. it's like, all right, let's kind of, you know, really scour this, see what's out there, see if it makes sense for what we're trying to do, figure out where our holes are and create the content that we need. Okay. And so my last OER question, um, because you you now are in this world, you, you're <laughs> the person to talk to. Um, so as an OER nerd myself, uh, ever so slowly moving to OER um, across all of my classes and content, what content are you making and for what levels? So I am uh, my, for my my head first dive into OER was general psych. Okay. Um, Good place to start. Yeah. Um, it was uh, through a grant that was looking to basically fund opportunities in high impact classes. So, okay. you know, high enrollment core curriculum type of classes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that that has been picked over quite a bit uh, in terms of creation. Um, it was a lot more on sort of the local assessment end as opposed to anything, um, you know, teaching related. I mean, I see. There's there's just a ton of resources. What I've been working on now is more uh, of my cross cultural class and mm -hmm. my experimental psych class, um, and I have just years and years and years of things that I have, you know, been working on that were as a result of the textbooks never really, you know, 
doing what I needed them to do exactly. And so now it's about pulling those resources. First of all, making sure that I didn't clip the idea from someone, you know, that's copyrighted, (laughs) right? um, you know, kind of going through that. And, you know, so with the experimental, it's a lot of lab stuff, um, you know, um, so we need uh, as many lab stuff as possible. Yeah, that it's that that's been fun. Um, you know, that's sort of the la- the last one I've been waiting for, and the the funding opportunity just came through. Um, so that that will be the the largest a- as I'm you know closing down one grant and you know uh, working through another. I'm just going to be starting this third one. Um, <laughs> so yeah, well, you can't complain that you don't have enough work to do. I suppose. <laughs> no, no. I mean, you know, certainly, um, certainly keeping busy. Um, yeah, that's the the way it is. So, yeah, yeah, but all good. All good stuff. Well, let's pivot to our episode tonight. We're talking a gimmicky <laughs> a gimmicky episode. And as the listener is already aware, yes. Yes. Sometimes if an episode happens to land on a special day, I'm going to try to find a movie. We did that um previously with halloween we did that previously with thanksgiving i believe Uh, it was either thanksgiving or christmas or potentially both but still (laughs) i am all about the gimmick just watch out next there'll be an easter monday uh movie out on the horizon what there's there's got what we're gonna talk about um we're gonna figure out if there are easter movies that we oh there are yeah hop we could do the anime oh yeah hop Hop, that's true (laughs) oh boy oh boy anyways fourth of july this episode goes out okay and so instead of independence day which (laughs) is also an option for a day like that uh, we are doing Born on the Fourth of July, and I think a more appropriate film, uh, as I said, more appropriate film for the podcast because there are definitely pretty, pretty glaring psych topics to discuss, and because it's uh, based on true, based on true events uh, and a real person, that the validity and even the embellishment is within the realm of plausible as opposed to, you know, some films that are just completely implausible that we've talked about on the show, like Inside Out or um, uh, Zootopia, right? Animated, impossible worlds, animals don't talk, and neither do your emotions. So, born on the 4th of July, Anthony, we were going back and forth on this one, and we were trying to figure out, and I saw that it was going to be July 4th, and you dropped born on the 4th of July like it was right on the top of your head yeah I mean you know it it was a little on the nose um but you know still I mean looking for uh looking for films that I thought would be good fodder for a discussion certainly Mm -hmm. uh it does uh it does make more sense than Independence Day um (laughs) it also though I want to let your listeners kind of in in on a little secret um Alex actually has uh, this plan, um, and that plan is is that each time that I come on, we are going to hit another Tom Cruise movie uh, in order. Um, so a year <laughs> and a half ago, we did 1988's Rain Man. Um, mm-hmm. We're tackling Born on the Fourth of July today. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. Days of Thunder coming up. Podcast Days of Thunder. 
Oh man, how could we talk about NASCAR? Oh, that sounds like a great conversation. Can we skip and just move into his better '90s movies? <laughs> yeah, there there are a few better ones. Yeah. Um, I'd rather it, do Jerry Maguire. Yeah, no, they're definitely <laughs> better. But I, I thought it was, and I didn't even make the connection when I suggested Born on the. I didn't until just, just now. Like, oh, the last time we talked about Rain Man. This is a Tom Cruise thing now. Like, okay. I'll have to so remember that. Maybe it's gimmicky for more than one reason. Excellent. I love it. That's content, folks. That is content creation. And I will I will go to the die on my hill for that one. Okay. But okay, so we are talking about Born on the Fourth of July. And um, though neither of us went to Vietnam, um, it's still, even though the war was uh, 50 plus years ago, right? It's still kind of a topic to look at. I mean, Apocalypse Now and Oliver Stone's first Vietnam movie, Platoon, which spends far more time in Vietnam than this movie does. Um, it's still, they're still lauded, right? Uh, and I would say this one is not watched as much. Uh, it was my first viewing for the episode, so I, I'm I'm appreciative, Anthony, that you suggested it because it allows me the opportunity to see something that I haven't seen before. Has always been on my list, but you know, never get around things to it. get just put on top and top and top, right? So I'm glad you suggested this, and of course, it makes sense for and uh, for uh, this show, but then also talking about how. Broadly speaking, what the Fourth of July holiday is and how it's portrayed in the film, the 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 theme that is used uh, of the holiday itself, because it's you know his birthday. So, Anthony, I'm going to get your thoughts on the film in general, and uh, you know that it's it's worthiness to discuss on this show. I have to admit, one of the alluring. Um aspects of this film not only in its timeliness and certainly the link to psychology but um oliver stone um has this really sort of interesting place in my heart um mm -hmm. in terms of my journey um into film i grew up i'm a little older than you so i grew up on the day and age of movie stars and blockbuster franchises yeah um so the star wars is ghostbusters the rocky franchise like this was sure this was the films of the 70s and 80s that i grew up with mm -hmm. um and oliver stone really was you know in 86 with platoon 87 with wall street really one of those first um directors where i kind of like was aware like wow film can really be more than just this sort of fun you know dissociative type of experience mm -hmm. and i remember sort of that you know entree into into film and then the coen brothers and richard linkladder and like all mm -hmm. that like sort of late 80s early indie cinema and so to be able to talk about oliver stone was you know a, a certainly a bonus for me and, you know, really, it is sort of the realism that he tries to bring into his stories. Now, we could talk about accuracy, uh, you know, as, as, you know, a filmmaker, he certainly takes some artistic license. Right. But clearly That's why I said film, plausible. Yeah, yes, plausible. Um, and I think this film, um, with some notable exceptions, he tries to stick um, to Ronkovic's story fairly well. Mm -hmm. Um 
you know, this was a bit of a passion project for him and it was like right. a stop start. He had wanted to do this years earlier. Um, so I think that, you know, he made this film with the intent to try and be as true to Ron's story as possible. And in that you get a very, very believable story of a young man who grows up uh, in this very idyllic, you know, middle class, you know, Massapequa, Long Island. Um, you know, this hyper masculinity that was kind of, you know, present um, early on in his life, this kind of Cold War idealism, you know, hoorah, you know, patriotism. We got to stop um, communism. Yeah, exactly. And and we watch him sort of be shaped, you know, by these forces, you know, these institutions um, to want to serve his country. And then we watch right. that journey, you know, from a young, you know, boy in Massapequa, Long Island to, you know, 10 years, you know, later, you know, the activist that he became, uh, right. being a vocal, um, you know, anti-war, uh, or having a, a vocal anti-war message. Right. Um, so I think that, you know, this film really has a lot of, you know, meat to chew on when we're talking about, you know, well, where is the overlap between this, you know, this film and, and psychology? Um, there's ton. Yeah. We get to, we get to watch a person, um, grow on screen, uh, over time. Yep. Right. Cause it's, cause it's, it's Ron Kovic's autobiography. Yeah. And I mean, you know, as psychologists, obviously we're interested in things like, um, you know, PTSD, which obviously we'll talk about, but you know, that identity formation process, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, uh, that we watch him go through in every step of the way, the changes. I mean, those are things that we certainly, and, and your listeners, absolutely, you know, these are the things that we've studied our entire life. Um, and so to watch them unfold in front of us, um, is interesting and, you know, to sit back with a pen and pad and kind of take notes of what we're seeing. We enjoy that. Um, and I think this right. film sort of provides a lot to talk about. Right. And it would not be a, a common one that you would see in a uh, second film class unless you wanted to have like maybe a week or so of just war film depiction um, and maybe not show the whole thing of every uh, uh, of every movie. But, you know, um, really pin down this idea that I want to jump into first, which is what you had mentioned just a few minutes ago, post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay. So as psychology teachers, we talk about this idea um, quite often, not necessarily in just a psychological disorders class, but it may come up in a gen psych class. Um, and it certainly comes up in conversation with students and the general public when something um, dramatic happens, right? So, um, Anthony, can, can you refresh the listeners on the qualities of PTSD? We're not going to go too deep into the, um, into the nitty-gritty of what diagnostic categories and um, what the symptoms are and all of that, but we'll give, but, but Anthony's got a, a, a broad um, sort of set of guidelines, we'll call them thematic yeah. elements. Yeah. And I mean, you know, coming from two non-clinicians, right. um, a know, very good disclaimer. The, yeah. The, the, the way that, you know, it's normally talked about, um, you know, in those sort of broad ways, obviously we're talking about 
a stress reaction to a trauma. Um, In the case of the film, obviously, the horrors of war, Mm -hmm. um, which is sort of broad. And I'm I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about um, the specific trauma or specific, you know, elements of that. Um, Mm -hmm. But what we're really looking at is sort of a constellation of symptoms that involve things like intrusive memory. So things like flashbacks, um, re-experiencing the trauma, I think, is how it's typically uh, it's typically stated. Mm-hmm. Um, we generally see some avoidance. Um, so avoiding thinking about or going to places or doing things that might, um, bring up memories of that trauma, which involves self-medicating. So, um, we see in the film, um, Ron getting drunk very often, very often. Yes. Um, and then we start to see, um, you know, some negative, uh, you know, negative cognitions, negative moods. Uh, right. So we see sort of this, you know, following Ron very, very, uh, difficult to have positive affect. He's very melancholy, um, right. very bitter, I think probably even, yeah. um, uh, you know, and also the survivor guilt, uh, that we'll talk about kind of falls in there. And then, um, you know, there's this arousal slash reactivity element to it. So that hypervigilance, sure. um, the irritability. Um, yeah. so it's this constellation of symptoms, um, you know, again, following a trauma, um, that we see across the spectrum in lots of different situations. Um, but specifically when we talk about, you know, um, military veterans returning from, you know, conflict, um, yeah. It's one of Active the ways conflict. Which, yeah. One of the places, you know, that we see it, although, you know, with you know, the state of things today, there are traumatic things happening right every day. Right. Yeah. Which includes for many survivors, PTSD as yes. well. Right. So yeah. it's not just it's not just military veterans um, from active conflict uh, zones. It 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 is a full swath of people, the whole population that um, could be affected by PTSD. Uh, we're just going to be specifically talking about it in the realm that it is most commonly spoken about, which is um, war. Yeah. And you know, PTSD. You know, from from especially kind of looking back at it, I mean, it it does seem to be tied into Vietnam. Um, you know, very, very directly, uh, you know, you know, we were talking a little bit prior, you know, this idea that people having stress reactions to traumatic situations is not new. Uh, right. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of the old joke I tell my, you know, um, you know, tell my students is like, you know, um, you know, just because, you know, we're talking about 1879 psychology is like, well, things happened before then, like, you know, yeah. Um, so just because PTSD wasn't a thing, um, you know, a diagnosable condition until 1980, that doesn't mean that people were not suffering symptoms of it. Right. Um, and in so, wars prior to the, the 20th century. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's evidence, uh, you know, and they just called it different things. Right. They I, mean, just, I, yeah, remember, exactly. I, I remember growing up hearing about shell shock. Exactly. You know, yeah, that's that was, that's that was the direct precursor to PTSD uh, and specifically tied to both World War One and World War Two because of the mortar mm-hmm. shelling. Absolutely. Um, and that was what was called shell shock. I mean, imagine being next to something that both fires something loudly 
and then hits the ground very loudly yeah. and just all day, every day. And that's the, in most media, that's the most common thing that, um, that you see portraying in a, in a showing way as ver versus a telling way, a showing way of PTSD is a bang and somebody being very hypervigilant and reactive to that, as you said. The, the opening scene of Born on the Fourth of July, the, the scene that Ron Kovic is actually in, um, he is uh, he in the opening, well, not the opening scene, but one of the opening scenes, uh, Ron Kovic as a youngster is attending a Fourth of July parade uh, mm -hmm. for World War II veterans. Um, right. Or were they, well, it was actually veterans in general, but mostly the World War II, right? Right. And, and his dad was a World War II veteran. Two veteran, correct. Yeah. yeah. And Ron Kovic played one of the uh, soldiers uh, in a very, very brief scene. They make eye contact. But during that time, there's a firecracker and you see the visible wince. Um, you know, very, very, I mean, one might say cliche, but, you know, it, there, there is a reason why around the 4th of July, uh, you know, mental health advocates all over the place talk about, you know, the impact of things like fireworks on veterans and what right. you can do to maybe um, ease their anxiety um, right. you know, during that time. Um, so we see it right from the get go, um, you know, in in that character. And then it just kind of goes forward as we follow, you know, Tom Cruise's portrayal of Ron Kovic. Um, you know, through the war and afterwards. And, and one of the things I really, really like about this particular portrayal is because we so closely tie this to war, um, right? And we think about, you know, it as like, you know, enduring some kind of trauma. In his case, you know, he shot in the foot, um, you know, and then, you know, his sort of adrenaline and hypermasculinity kick in and he's gonna, you know, stand up and he gets shot. Um, uh, paralyzing. Uh, 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 what's it? Um, Scarface style. Ah! Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he was, it was just going to be, you know, he was going to, you know, he was, he was going to go out it. like a Klingon. Yep. Um, but what I really, really like about this is that there are so many other subtle sort of things about this. Well, subtle and not so much, not so subtle. Like for instance, um, you know, one of the, the issues with, um, with Vietnam and the high rates of PTSD largely was because of the horrific warfare, yeah. um, right? They saw and were asked to do things um, that previous generations had not. And we saw that a little bit in the film. Now, that wasn't a massacre as we hear about, you know, at certain times during Vietnam where civilians and women and children were, were killed knowingly. This was much more of a accidental massacre. Yeah. Um, but accidentally killing women and children. Uh, and you saw immediately the impact that that had on him. Right. Um, he thought he know, was it, a good guy up until that point. Yeah. Um, you know, in the confusion of, you know, the firefight shooting one of, you know, his own men, you know, so, you know, mm -hmm. killing one of his fellow soldier, soldiers. Um, so we have a survivor guilt element. Right. And then even once he's back, right, the, the, treatment that he got in the VA in the Bronx. Don't you people help me, huh? What's the matter with you? I don't feel right. I don't feel right either. I need to see the doctor. I need to see him now! Available now. I want to see him now! He's always too busy, isn't he? What's he doing now, Kobe? <laughs>
fucking shit! You going out the deep end? Amputate that leg, you go on like this. What do I have to do? What do I have to do? Hey, man, don't you you ever put your hands on All me. All I'm saying is I just want to be treated like a human being. Yeah. I mean, that was... Almost you know, losing his leg. Yeah. Traumatic in and of itself. So I, right. I, I, that's one of the things that I really, really like about this. It wasn't like this person goes to war. They are involved in a horrific, you know, again, battle. Um, and then they come home and they, you know, have an issue. This, mm -hmm. this really sort of shows the cumulative um, right. nature of post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah, and I think you can even add on top of that, you know, his treatment at the VA and then his treatment as um, an unloved Vietnam veteran. Um, he has a, a, an attempted fight uh, in his wheelchair in a billiard, you know, at a billiards bar, and he's completely uh, drunk. And the the guy just was saying, you know what, you lost. You're not like those World War II veterans or those yeah. Korean veterans. You lost. Yeah. Um, you should suck it up and stop, you know, wallowing in your own pity. No one, no one cares. And I mean, and, and that kind of psychological trauma really gnaws at a person, regardless of. Their thoughts before or the reasons for, you know, joining the war and, you know, being caught up in the we'll we'll say propaganda, being caught up in the propaganda, having his birthday on the 4th of July, that kind of treatment, regardless of those reasons, is, is really going to do significant damage. Those um, physiological symptoms notwithstanding. Yeah. I mean, they refer to him both when he's a youngster and later on as he was their Yankee doodle boy. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, that he was predestined. I mean, this was just ingrained in him that this is what he was going to do. And, you know, seeing his father and other veterans being welcomed home and, you know, being celebrated for serving their country and then, you know, returning home, you know, from an unpopular war to find that not only were they not welcomed home, but they were vilified mm -hmm. largely because a lot of these horrific, you know, elements were playing out on television. I'm scared enough. What do you have to say you to these people? My name is Rob Kovic. I'm a Vietnam veteran. My name is Rob Kovic. I'm a Vietnam veteran. I'm here tonight to say that this war is wrong, that this society lied to me, it lied to my brothers, deceived the people in this country. Tricked him into going 13,000 miles to fight a war against the poor peasant people who have a proud history of resistance, who have been struggling for their own, for their own independence for 1,000 years, the Vietnamese people. I can't, I can't find the words to express how the leadership of this government sickens me. Now, people say, people say, if you don't love America, then get the hell out. Well, I love America. We love the people of America very much, but when it comes to the government, it stops right there. The government is a bunch of corrupt thieves. They are rapists and robbers. And we are here to say that we don't have to take it anymore. We are here to say, we are here to tell the truth. They are killing our brothers and Vietnam. We want them to hear the truth tonight. And so, you know, it wasn't just newsreels that were being sent back and edited for, you know, you know, lovely viewing, you know, um, this, right. this was nightly news stuff that right. they were seeing. And we're getting information directly from the ground. Like there was no, 
there was no news from the front and that was heavily scrubbed you know for um total war propaganda this was news from the ground in almost immediately right yeah. they would get on the phone get on the wire and by 6 p.m or whatever they had the details yeah no that and and that was very very different so obviously yes that is going to be traumatizing to you know a young man um you know who has this expectation you know that he was conditioned to believe his entire life and to really come home and really find just the opposite mm -hmm. um you know um one of the uh you know other things like and I was I was thinking when I was thinking about, well, what made Vietnam so uh, horrific, you know, in terms of PTSD, like what what was it about that? And you start to think about like little things. Well, I guess they're not so little, but things that maybe you don't think of, like, for instance, that really was the first war where there was a large draft. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about the Yankee Doodle Boys, these were people going off to war, much like Ron Kovic, volunteering. Right? right. But that wasn't the case for many individuals in Vietnam. They were drafted. So they were going because they had to. Mm -hmm. um, and that obviously is a very, very different mindset. The other thing I hadn't thought of, um, which I mean, I don't know why as a psychologist, I probably should have thought about this. In previous wars, right, if they were injured overseas, right, they had this decompression time, right? They recovered overseas then they would go home on a steamship you know and it would be months and by the time they got home they were distanced from what they had just gone through sure in these cases with jet travel i mean they were injured they were patched up they were sent home immediately right and to be cared really, for in the united states so i mean they didn't stand a chance uh you know in terms of of you know, PTSD. And, and as it turns out, I mean, you know, when you look at it, it's surprising that even more uh, individuals in that time period didn't suffer uh, from PTSD. So I, I think that the, the movie, you know, doesn't go over the top, which you can't always say about Oliver Stone movies, right? Oliver <laughs> Stone is not subtle. Um, he's also he's also biased in this regard. Yeah. Right. And yes. so. You know, I go back to my plausible uh, comment because we do have to realize that Oliver Stone is a Vietnam veteran and a and it was a fierce anti-war critic um, after he got back and he put all of his energy into filmmaking and obviously, you know, the rest is history. But um, he felt very passionate about these three movies, one right after the other. Yep. Like he was steeped in it for the better part of 10 years um, in each of these movies, writing them, directing them, all editing them as well. Um, so, yeah, it is a fairly accurate movie because it's from the mind of a real living person who wrote a book, um, but it is embellished. Yeah, but I, I still think that there are, you know, it, it's the subtleties in the performance that, you know, because I remember after I suggested it and I knew that we were going to go the PTSD angle, and I hadn't seen it in about 10 or 15 years. Mm -hmm. um, I couldn't really recall like any major scenes like where we saw like PTSD. So like when we think about Taxi Driver, right, or Deer Hunter, right, some of those films, Pocalypse sure. Now, 
those have a memorable scenes of, you know, those post-war, you know, PTSD type of symptoms. I couldn't think of any. I think I think I think it's more subtle. Yes. Um I do agree with you that the um there is a lack of ostentatiousness, but I think that does serves the movie better than Apocalypse Now, which or or Taxi Driver, because those the the scenes that I th- I believe you're referring to um in those two movies um reflect more of a psychosis and so sort of like a comorbid um uh psychological distress so not only the stress of the moment and then the post traumatic stress afterward but then also a break with reality and i mean certainly in those movies it served the story to have them have that you know, level, you know, where it was pathologized yeah. um, a bit more. Whereas in, you know, in, in this, the subtlety, you know, I think was quite effective because it shows, you know, that here we have Ron Kovic, you know, returning Vietnam War veteran who has PTSD, not he is, he isn't his disorder. Yes. Um, and so we could focus on his story. Right. Um, and and I think that that was the right way to go. There are plenty of movies with over the top symptomology. Yeah, uh, the subtlety here I thought was you know an excellent choice. And again, you know, a lot of that being dictated by the fact that it was a true story. It was the story of this person who he had grown to know very closely. Mm-hmm. Um, and so understated uh, at times. Um, really, sure, it, it worked for me. Yes, I, I fully agree. Uh, the it was the subtlety was thematically pervasive. I'll say so. It, what I mean by that is that um, it allows you to follow this character and not be like, okay, that's PTSD right there. That's PTSD right there. It is part of the. It is part of the movie itself. It is part of the the art. Uh, in Tom Cruise's portrayal, you're supposed to see it. Not it's it's a show rather than a tell, right? Right. And we're supposed to see the effect of PTSD because honestly, that's what real life is. We only see the effects right. of a person's uh, psychological disorders or or, or pa- uh, pathology or symptomatology we only see what we can observe we have no idea what's going on in this person's head and so for a filmmaker that is portraying ptsd and trying to be true to the experience of somebody with it um it's got to be subtle because it's one of those it's one of those functioning disorders lots of people with ptsd you would never know yeah. And, you know, a, a lesser filmmaker would have had, you know, the five minute therapy scene where, <laughs> you know, right. Ron is telling like, and then I have nightmares and then I have, you know, then I, you know, drown my sorrows, you know, like, yeah. and I, I mean, you know, I, I like to think, uh, you know, um, that I'm a little bit of a discerning film you know, viewer, I don't need to be beat, beaten over the right. head with, with everything. And and sometimes it's the things you don't say um, that are effective. And so, yeah, a lesser filmmaker would have had that horrific trope. Um, here's here's the thing. I'm glad you brought that up because I did want to say this. 
and then we'll jump to a break because I think we I think we we covered PTSD. Glad you said that because um, I wanted to say how abysmal mental health coverage for returning Vietnam veterans was. I mean, it's no surprise that we see Ron kicked out of his family's home. Are you drunk again? Hey, mom. He's drunk again. Eli, we have a drunk person. Leave that. You leave that alone. Leave, give that to me. You can't stay in this house. This is what you believe in, isn't it, Mom? This is what you believe in, but I don't. I don't believe in him anymore. Go to bed, honey. It's he only okay. I'll three take days care up of there. Me, I got to spend the rest of my life. I wish I were dead like him. You don't know what you're saying. That's a problem, Mom. I'm not dead. I got to live. I got to live and I got to roll around. I got to remind him of Vietnam. And you don't want to know. You don't want to see us. You want to hide us. You want to hide us because it is a can of shit. And I am a dummy. He won't listen. He won't change. Ronnie, please. You got to take your mom seriously. You can't drink in this house. they told us. Go fight! Go kill! Sergeant man, rain car! Yes, go left! Go left! Go left! You know, it's all a lie, Honey! Why? Stop it! Go to bed! You sleep it off! What did they do to you in that war? What happened to you? You need help, Ronnie. You need help! You need help! They told us to go! Yes, that's what they told us! Thou shalt not kill, Mom. Thou shalt not kill women and children. I shall not kill, remember? Isn't that what you taught us? Isn't Stop that it. what they taught Stop us? Stop it! Stop it! I don't want you in this house. You're out of this house. Ron, come on now. You made your point. Now stop! Goes to Mexico, basically uses every single last dime for for alcohol or um, uh, paid sex. And gets dropped in the middle of frickin' nowhere, Mexico. <laughs> has to find his way back to the United States. Like, this is a guy who is down on his luck. So it's no surprise that real Vietnam veterans ended up significantly, um, disproportionately homeless, right? Yep. And um, it's all because the VA was not equipped. And it's so strange that it wasn't equipped, considering... Um, how many wars the United States had been in already mm-hmm. in that century. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like one every, almost one every decade, it seems. Uh, and yet they're not equipped and we're uh, unfortunately still not equipped uh, in this country to handle mental health concerns of veterans. Yep. Um, that's Sadly, why you have organizations out there whose sole job in a nonprofit way is to get veterans mental health help. Yeah, they 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 seem to have been, you know, uh, behind, you know, from that and never have caught up. Um, right. You know, oh, you know, you, you look at, you know, when PTSD like was really sort of adjust through the, the VA. Right. I mean, you're talking about the 80s, you know, you're not so a decade plus after after Vietnam. And so the lessons learned from Vietnam helped, you know, the first Iraqi war veterans, you know, they did a better job there. But then what were they caught off guard there as well? It's, it's so, still pretty abysmal, in my opinion. Yeah. And I, I have, uh, you know, I have friends who are, you know, work within the VA system and social work who are, you know, great people doing amazing work. Right. Um, and are just overwhelmed. Yeah. Uh, 100 percent. 100 percent. So we're going to take a quick break 
And we are going to come back with um, more nuance psychology in Born on the Fourth of July. Stay with us. Howdy. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you're enjoying the conversation. Over the past two years, the podcast has grown, and that's mostly in part to folks like you, the listeners. We've also had wonderful luck receiving support from the Society for the Teaching of Psychology, APA Division II Small Partnerships Grant. It's been a fun ride, and we want to keep it going. So we need your help. There are several ways that you can support this show. You can share episodes with your social media networks so we can grab new listeners. You can join our fledgling Patreon program. You can contribute directly using PayPal. Or you can purchase some sweet merchandise with our logo at our Spreadshirt merch store. All of those things can be found on the website cinemasychpod.swanpsych.com. But perhaps the best thing that you can do is to keep listening and leave us feedback on Facebook or Twitter so we know you've listened. Thanks. And now back to the show. And we are back with Dr. Anthony Zaccalillo talking. Born on the 4th of July. Yes, Tom Cruise, Oliver Stone, the war film of the real life Ron Kovic. So, Anthony, I want to talk about some more nuanced topics. And you had talked about this at the beginning um, when we were introducing the movie. You had mentioned identity change. And I think we saw the shifting attitudes in similar ways. But just to set just to set it up and we'll go through each of the um, you know stages of the of the film, this 10 year. Well, broader than 10 year period, but, you know, uh, more or less. about more or less. Um, okay, so there's some cognitive dissonance, of course, um, of Ron Kovic, and it's at the highest just after he returns from the VA to Massapequa. Um, and I, I, I saw it as two separate messages. And of course, these messages are thematic for the title of the film and the birthday of the real Ron Kovic. And that is um, how the United States and patriotism is represented. So we go from a blindly patriotic uh, young child, the son of a World War II veteran and of a strictly Christian household in middle income New York, right? And then the shifting attitudes at the height of the cognitive dissonance for uh, Ron. There, none in the beginning, none as an as a child, right? He believes what uh, the story is, um, but he goes to Vietnam, horrifically, accidentally kills women and children inside of a uh, little shack shanty town situation. And then potentially, if not actually, um, uh, friendly fire kills his, um, I guess, company mate. Uh, I guess that would be. Uh, And so. And when he comes home, he doesn't understand. The. The sentiment. He's like, well, wait a minute. I. 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 When fought a war for us, I, I'm 
I'm the echelon. Revere me. Wait, you're not revering me. Wait, that, okay. Then slowly going through trying to work through his trauma, not only as a war veteran, but as a um, person who is paralyzed from the mid waist down and trying to trying to figure out what life is for him, what comes next. And so how did you see that? Well, so very much the same. I mean, when when we see, you know, the beginning of the film, we do really see this very idyllic middle class, you know, like we talked about in the outset, right? This this idea that this is what you did. Um, you know, you 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 joined up the military, you defended your country. This is what generations had done before me. Um, you know, the, this this family that was very, very much guided by, you know, religion. Um, you know, uh so and then he enters the military and what we start to see from there, right. And as subtext, this is kind of what is going on. In addition to this, you know, main storyline, we start to see the shifting of his identity from, you know, that very much gung ho Yankee doodle boy, you know, sure. uh, that, that we see in the beginning to this, you know, very well-respected anti-war activist. In a relatively short period of time. I mean, you know, it's a decade, but still, I mean, that is a very, very big change. Exactly. The the thing that I found the most interesting was when you looked at just how ingrained those values are based upon um, the the social structure at the time, right? I mean, whether it was the family... Uh, whether it was religion, whether it was the wrestling coach, um, you know, these social structures that were delivering this message of what it meant to be a young man during this time. Uh, And then we start to see the shift. And the first thing that I noticed was when he went to his superior officer uh, in the wake of the friendly fire incident with Wilson. Sure. that is where we start to see, or at least in retrospect, I kind of think we start to see him starting to question all of the things that he had blindly accepted, because that's really the first time um, things aren't quite what they should be. Um, Right. He was, you know, there to be honest and he expected to be disciplined or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. Um, He wasn't expected to be dismissed. and never yeah. having the ability to atone for that, you know, potentially horrific, you know, friendly it takes fire him, incident. In many years to apologize to the Wilson family, his parents and his um, his widow. And, you know, that, you know, well, well I'll get to that. But I mean, you, you kind of see him come full circle at that yeah. point once he's able to, you know, get it off of his chest. Yeah. Um. Then we see him, obviously, he's injured, he's in the VA hospital, and here's another structure uh, that is nothing uh, like he had thought, right? He, again, assumed that he'd be welcome home with open arms, and of course, if he was injured, he'd get the best medical care, right? This would be the top priority. And, you know, he was met with quite a 
different version of that. An understaffed, under-equipped uh, hospital. And his, you know, his nurses and orderlies essentially did not care. Yep. They uh, just, they did what they needed to do. Uh, and they didn't really care that he was a Vietnam veteran. They were just a pain and, in, he was just a pain in their ass. And the the majority of the the nurses uh, were African American, and you got to kind of realize this is overlaid with the civil rights movement. And yeah, so, exactly. you know, when we talk about, you know, what were the primary concerns? It weren't you're from Vietnam. We don't care about your Vietnam. Mm-hmm. What we care about is the issues that are important to us right now, and those, you know, were those issues of civil rights. Um, even the 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 leg break. Um, is very, very interesting to me. Um, so he, you know, he refuses to accept the fact that uh, he's never going to walk again. And in sort of pushing himself, uh, falls and suffers a fairly gnarly compound fracture that I yeah. forgot all about. Uh, and I'm a little squeamish with stuff like that. I was like, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and his insistence that they had to save the leg. Because in his mind, right, he hadn't fully accepted that new identity yet. He wasn't paralyzed. This was a temporary situation. Sure. Yeah. And then I, we kinda, I can see that. Yeah. And then we kind of see, you know, him go fast forward through that, right? He's making, um, you know, or, or uh, you know, re touching base with some people from his past. He's starting to get an idea from the inside of what this activism movement is. So those structures are starting to weigh on him. Mm-hmm. Um, the family, right? I mean, that there's a huge scene uh, after the scene you talked about where he is, you know, pretty drunk at the bar where he comes home mm-hmm. and I mean, basically alienates himself from his family. Like, you know, pretty much like, why did you do this to me? Like, you did not equip me for the world, you know, that I had to go out and try and, you know, make my way in. Yeah, I um, I'm going to I'm going to come very strongly out against his mother. Uh-huh. Um, I, I mean, if that was accurate to how he was thrown out, I mean, I, I, I don't have any sympathy for that woman. That was brutal. Yeah, I mean, that was absolutely brutal. Uh, and then he finds his way to Mexico to an enclave of, you know, other displaced veterans yeah. that was probably one of the most, you know, debaucherous, you know, environments for him to be in, but it's really where he found himself. I I think so. I think he came to term with his paralysis in Mexico as what it, it it seems like to me. Yeah, and and accepting that that is that is what who he is now. And mm-hmm. and if he was going to move forward with his life, it has to be this idea of I, you know, uh, everything that I thought about this war, you know, five years ago, six years ago, I completely think about this differently now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to accept this new identity and I am going to use this power, um, you know, instead of using the power, you know, that I'm going to go and I'm a big, tough American Yankee doodle boy and I am <laughs> going to wipe out communism from right. Southeast Asia. I'm going to use this power in a different way. And it's not a physical power. It's the power of my words. Right. And so he returns home. He makes amends with Wilson's family, which I do know that that is um, that that particular scene is um, 
dramatized. Apparently, he only wrote a letter. Um, uh. <laughs> I know, I know, because it's such a good scene, but apparently it didn't happen that way. I raised my rifle three times. And shots. Body fell in the dunes. God, this, this is very difficult for me to say. We don't have to hear this, Ron. But, Mr. Wilson, I think I was the one that killed your son that night. I was the one. I was the one. What's done is done, sir. I can't ever forgive you. But maybe the Lord can. We're gonna stay in Ron. We're gonna stay in the pain. You've been gone. I think that was the weight off of his shoulders, right? That mm -hmm. was the confession that he was robbed of in Vietnam. You know, that the commanding officer was like, don't bring this, you know, don't bring this to me now. You know, you didn't do this. This didn't happen. Right. Uh, and being able to confess and be absolved uh, is, you know, a huge, huge weight. Uh, and, and then we see you know, from there, the fully realized version of Ron Kovic as an activist. Yes. And and uh, that's um, the last thing we see of him in the film is him going to speak at the 1976 Democratic National Convention uh, for uh, where um, Jimmy Carter accepts the nomination for the presidency events eventually goes on to win it. Um, so apparently his speech worked. No, I'm just kidding. Well, I, and <laughs> Gerald I, I Ford just it. wasn't very good at debating. Yeah. So yeah, that was it wasn't much of a competition. <laughs> but I, you know, I really like the idea of cutting it without the speech. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, that's you know, that's right. We don't see the speech. We see him going down the um the aisle. The the you know the entrance. Yep. to the uh, stage and then it just cuts fades to black yeah, yeah. fades to black and uh and uh, you know from everything that i've ever read it was an incredibly powerful speech it was a speech that was foreshadowed earlier in the film mm -hmm. um by his mom you're gonna uh, give it i had a dream that you're gonna give a speech in front of all those people like <laughs> okay and you're gonna say great things yeah and apparently he did um but i do like that you know, kind of ending it on that without, you know, and again, a lesser director would have tried to, you know, play up the emotion of that particular moment and kind of end like, in a very rocky moment, you know, with him thrusting his fist into the air, you know, after some poignant comment. Um, yeah, I but mean, ending it there. I'm sure fitting. the speech 
was filmed the real speech. So if you really want to go here, I mean, it, it, it would have been, I think it would have been awkward. I know they showed the, his um, anti-war stuff um, outside of the Miami RNC four years prior to that. Um, but I think it would be disingenuous for uh, Tom Cruise to deliver that speech because it probably was filmed. It was it was yeah. pro- it, part of the proceedings of the uh, DNC. So you know they probably have cameras on. And there. I would I I wouldn't be terribly surprised even if Oliver Stone filmed it and just decided ultimately that the film worked better without it. Yeah. I, uh, okay. Okay. I could see that. Uh, you know. Yeah. And so I agree with his decision if it was filmed or if he was like, Nah, Tommy, you're never gonna do it. So don't worry <laughs> about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I ultimately I think he made the right decision. I mean, again, when I'm watching stuff like that, I'm always very, very conscious of the edits and what is not being shown and what may have been filmed. And I'm a big, you know, fan of you know, like director's cuts and and you know, lost scenes that you know gives you a, a little bit of a fuller idea of what the uh, vision was at the moment. Uh, sure. And ultimately, in editing, what the entire vision was. Uh, and, you know, like you said very early on, he is very, very heavily involved with every aspect of the filmmaking. Right. And he was one, you know, who really had that ability. He had a lot of control over his films. And with the success of Platoon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Universal was like, you can do whatever you want. Yep. Yep. Uh, so, I mean, <clears throat> yeah, the one thing the one thing that I'll add to this conversation before we wrap up is um, this. Unfortunately, uh, some a movie that came out, you know, at the end of the 80s, 1980s. This was uh, 30, 30 some years, uh, 33 years ago. Right. Um, And uh, about a war that was even older than that. Right. So we're talking, you know, 50, more than 50 years ago. And yet still very prescient and timely for a discussion of today's world. Uh, I I said to Anthony before we started recording that it's odd to me that we never learn from our mistakes, even something that was less than 100 years ago. I can see making the same mistakes of something 100 plus years ago. None of those people are alive anymore. So you make the same mistakes. Until human history was recorded, we were probably doing that a lot. But something that's just not even a hundred years old, and you're still, we still have the elements and the themes from this movie present in just real life is is just mind blowing to me. Um, maybe that's a little bit of uh, naivete from. Uh, some idealism left in my brain that hasn't been stamped out by cynicism. But the the whole thing about we got to stop communism. I don't know how many. I think there were there was at least 30 cents of nickels uh, for that phrase in this movie. Uh, you oh, know, yeah. it's it's strange that that kind of idea still exists now but instead of it being communism it's socialism like you don't want to be socialist no i kind of do want to be socialist (laughs) and 
another thing which I thought was interesting that we have actually we ha- we actually haven't mentioned is that we see one of the inspirational moments uh, to young Ron Kovic is uh, Kennedy's inaugural address where he says, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. It's like, no, John, my country needs to do stuff for me. That's literally what a government is. I need people to get behind that idea. That's what a government is, to do stuff for me. (laughs) Because I pay taxes for those (laughs) things to be done for me. That's literally, and so that's the kind of idea that is so ingrained in the United States. I'm on a soapbox now. That is so ingrained in the United States that it can't stand. It's this blind patriotism that, and and blind individualism. And if something, if something doesn't align with that, if you've got a dissenting opinion, like my opinion is right now, then you are viewed as unpatriotic and un-American right it is a fact that if you hate it you need to leave that has been said how many many, yeah how many times was was that said in the film like love it or leave it yeah exactly and um, so we have this (laughs) we have this war which has it's it's not it's not a uh, I'm gonna use um uh, one country against uh another country and we're going to bang bang at each other and see who wins right by ceding land that I mean okay um and then now it it is morphed into this cultural idea where if you are not um listening to one kind of uh talk one kind of set of ideas uh then then you are the problem and this goes both ways but i certainly feel the blind patriotism and stopping the socialism ideas to be really anti you know not just un-american but anti-american Right. It's literally against the fabric of what the people who were like, let's form this, let's form this country and let's try to make it a really good place for people to live. Not everyone, which is still a problem, but play a good place for people to live. I like that idea. As do I. It's As not, I. It's, and, and- it, it hasn't, it hasn't been a, um, achievable idea for a long time from Vietnam, what this movie is to today. And that's really sad. I'm off my soapbox. You want to add to that, Anthony? No, I mean, I think, I think that's a good way to bring this home, right? It's like, you know, for all that has changed since the late sixties and early seventies, you realize really how much, you know, um, has stays the same. And, and the, you know, the tactics of, you know, disinformation and persuasion and propaganda, Mm -hmm. They haven't changed, right? I mean, it's the worst thing ever, you know, uh, it, w- it was the worst thing ever for Ron Kovic to be called un-American, right. you know, or, or calling somebody un-American was his, the, the greatest insult that he Right, could, I was born know, on the 4th on... of July. Yeah, um, and today it's still the same, right? I mean, you're, you know, if you're, if you're not, you know, stepping in line, then it's because you don't love your country and you're un-American and, you know, 
love it or leave it, get out. Yeah. Um, and so oh, yeah, yeah. as much that has changed, really, we still are, are, are kind of bound um, very, very similar ways uh, as we were 50 years ago. Yeah, it feels like uh, we're going around in circles. Well, I want to thank Dr. Anthony Zaccalillo for joining me to discuss Born on the 4th of July. How many times have I said that this episode? My goodness. Uh, Born on the 4th of July. Uh, that's when the <laughs> podcast is out. Anyways, before we say goodbye, Zach, is there anything that you'd like to plug? Um, well, I yeah, I would actually like to plug. Uh, I, I made an appearance on a, another uh, podcast that I think uh, was kind of interesting and might be of interest to your listeners. Okay, uh, it's certainly not a psychology um, podcast, although it was a psychological topic. Uh, interesting. Friends of mine do a cryptids uh, podcast. Um, so you know the whole Bigfoot. Ah, uh, yes, 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 yes. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's called Fifty States of Terror, and they <laughs> wanted to do some. They wanted to do something. Um, well, they're they're taking each state in the state's main cryptid, but what they wanted to do was they wanted to do something for Mental Health Awareness Month. Okay. Um, and so in May we got together. Uh, we talked a little spooky. We talked a little science. Mm -hmm. uh, we talked a little stigma. Um, and I think we uh we made for a pretty entertaining uh little entertaining podcast so i i will uh send you the information and maybe put it in the show notes yeah or somewhere where people can link to it because sure. um, i don't know the url the <laughs> no no but the worries. podcast is called 50 states of terror 50 states of terror so you did not get to talk about texas's cryptid they are they are doing it alphabetically they so they are they they are only through like <sighs> illinois no i think they just did a louisiana okay they just did okay. louisiana so they did uh, do I, Illinois actually, already. Do you know yeah, what? I, I'm actually going to be uh, back to talk about uh, uh, Michigan. So I'll, I will oh, be returning interesting. to Interesting. Okay. Yeah, um, do you recall I'm, what Illinois' cryptid is? I don't. That okay. was one well, of the more recent ones. So we'll yeah. we'll have to we'll have to find out, and maybe you'll look at maybe you'll listen to one on your state wherever you may be listening well that's a great one and yes i will link that in there um and so thanks again for rejoining us anthony it's always good to have you on the show oh it's always my pleasure um and i am anxiously awaiting days of thunder um, <laughs> so whenever you're ready to do that okay you know, you know all right i will i will put it down on the calendar anyway that's gonna do it for this episode until the next one thanks for listening 